This morning we have two scripture readings, and we had some technical difficulties, so I'm going to read them for you live. The first is from Matthew 9, reading verses 35 through 38, and the second is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15 through 26. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And the second reading from 1 Corinthians says this. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the eye should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the last number of months, you've probably heard a lot about essential workers. Maybe you've seen things painted by children and put in the windows of houses and apartment buildings, thanking essential workers for all the work they're doing in this difficult time. Maybe you've, yeah, drawn some of those things yourself or clanged pots and pans to say thank you every evening. And I think a year ago, if I had asked us who we thought essential workers were, well, I really wonder what our answers would have been. I do think healthcare workers still would have made the list. But then maybe we would have talked about engineers and teachers. Perhaps some of us would have even said that politicians are essential. I don't think many of us would have been so quick to suggest that the 17-year-old who was picking up a couple of shifts a week at the grocery store was an essential worker, or that the gig economy workers delivering hot food all across the city are essential, or that warehouse workers making sure that the immunocompromised can have things shipped to them instead of needing to hazard a trip to the department store were absolutely necessary. So how much these past six months have changed us. Suddenly, it's harder for us to take for granted that so many of us can just go to the store and buy food. That some of us can have all the things we need to survive, and in fact far more, delivered right to our door. That a person's paycheck is not the only, or in fact usually the best, 
indicator of whose work is essential for the functioning of our society and for the good of our city and the world. Now, if we think back to Jesus's time, and if we were to ask a good religious Jewish person who the essential workers of God's kingdom were, well, they might have said the priests, and they might have said the lawyers, and they might have said the sword-carrying rebels who were looking to overthrow Rome. But if they heard something like what Jesus said to his disciples, and we heard again today in Matthew 9, about workers for the harvest, they almost all would have said that those workers were the angels. Yes, the angels. This would have been the most common understanding of who the essential workers for what God is doing in the world were in Jesus' time. That angels are the workers of the harvest, bringing God's wrath to bear on the unjust and saving the just, reaping a harvest of the faithful. In fact, Jesus actually does tell a parable exactly like this in Matthew 13 about weeds in a harvest, where the answer is, in fact, the angels. So it should be that much more surprising to us that when we hear this story, the answer isn't the angels. Those harvest laborers that Jesus talks about are actually meant to be his disciples. The disciples of Jesus are the essential workers for God's kingdom in the world. In the church today, I think we struggle with that sort of question too. Who are the essential workers in the church? Is it me because I wear this collar sometimes and some people call me reverend and some people call me pastor? Is it the people who do things in front of the camera or behind the camera in this live stream? Or the people who are at the church throughout the week? Is it the people who keep the church building in good order? Maybe it's those who volunteer their time to be elders in our church and lead our community. Or maybe it's the people who volunteer to be faithful caretakers of all the funds that are given for this work. Is it the people that we can see? Is it the people who are professional, the people who are visibly skilled for ministry? Are these the essential workers in the church? In 1 Corinthians 12, you can hear some of this same tension as the Apostle Paul writes some imaginary dialogue from within the body, where the foot suggests that since it's not a hand, it obviously doesn't belong. It just gets stood on all day. What's the good of that? And where the ear might say, since it's not an eye, it will be leaving. That in fact, the whole body would be made the lesser. That the body truthfully needs all of these parts to do their job. And that all of the work is important for the full functioning of that body. In fact, it's the unseen parts that don't get much credit, but do so much of the heavy lifting. We might think of the spleen and the pancreas and the intestines. Nobody's complimenting these parts of their body daily, and few of us are thanking God for them every time they do what they do so well. But without them, well, we'd be in real trouble. In our church, we just had two loved members of the pastoral staff resign for different reasons. And some of us might be wondering, are we going to be okay? Our team lost two good and gifted people. Our church lost two talented leaders. And if our answer is that people like me are the essential people for the flourishing of the church, well, then we would be right to be gravely concerned. 
But I don't think that that's the answer we're meant to arrive at. Rather, we're meant to see that what's true of the body is also true of the church. The eyes and heads are important, that their work is necessary to life as God intended it for us. But of just as much, if not more importance, is the work of the inner parts, the unseen work, the work that doesn't get broadcast on YouTube every week, that doesn't make it into an annual report. It's the work that each of you are doing in the fields of the world. You see, the odds are that there's no pastor in your house. So it's you. When your child is frightened in the night and needs to be assured of God's love and protection, I'm not going to be there. None of us will. Perhaps the next day somebody here would be able to set up a Zoom call with that child and encourage them. But in the moment, it's you who's pastoring them. It's you who's caring for their needs. In the same way, the odds are there's no missionary in your neighborhood. So that must be you too. When your neighbor needs somebody to pray for them, or to grieve with them, or to hold out hope with them, they're not going to call me. They're probably not going to think of this old stone building at all. You'll be the one sharing in their joys and their sorrows. You'll be the one who has eyes to see where God is right beside them. Just as the odds are that there's no chaplain at your workplace. So guess what? That's you too. Helping others connect their day in and day out work with the goodness that God is working in the world. Helping others to see God's hand in even the most troubling days. Your work is essential for the church. Your work is the work of God's kingdom on earth. So let's talk more about what this essential work is. Because if the work God needs doing in the world isn't actually the work of angels bringing doom, then what is it? Simply, it is the work of disciples bringing mercy. That's all it is. It's people who are following Jesus, freely giving what we have first received from him. This is why we do this work. We forgive because we have been forgiven and we know the relief that forgiveness brings. We care for the sick because we were once sick beyond all belief. And in Jesus, God cared for us. We are generous with those who are in need, generous with our resources, generous with our affections and our compassion. And we're generous because our God was first generous with us. This is what it means to be a laborer in God's harvest. And these are difficult things to do. They really do take a whole community of people to do them well, a whole body with different gifts and talents, finding themselves in different places. Not all pastors in a church, but also Christians in a bank who can show goodness and kindness in that place in a way that I never could. Not all of us doctors and lawyers and engineers, but some of us, in fact, work to the bone in the gig economy, held in lesser honor by our world, but clothed with greater honor in the church as you exhibit what humble service and consistent trust in God for your daily bread looks like. And you do those same works of love and mercy in places that need them just as much as anywhere else, as you maybe share an Uber Eats meal that wasn't picked up with the hungry woman on the street corner. How good it is that this body of ours is not all priests and lawyers and zealots, not all pastors and missionaries and professional churchy types. 
It is the rich diversity of the church in its expression and its experience and all the jobs that we do and all the jobs that many of us could never imagine doing, but we know that our brothers and sisters do each day. It's this work in total, all put together, which is needed for the world. None of it can be left aside. So that's a big job. But we sometimes risk making it even bigger than it is because we think it's our job to make the harvest grow. We imagine ourselves to be farmers who plant seed and water seed and fertilize it, weed the field and harvest it, market it and sell it. And this is not at all what Jesus suggests for his disciples or for us. Rather, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. The fields of the world are already ripe with God's goodness, overflowing with opportunities to join with the work of God's kingdom. We do not need to cause it to grow. God has already done so and continues to do so. We work in a plentiful field. It's our job to labor in a vineyard that is ripe with fruit. The essential work of God's kingdom is not the growing, it's the harvesting. This work of ours, it's about the harvest. It's about noticing what's ripe and picking it and sharing it with others so they can enjoy it too. It's about pointing to the good fruit of God's kingdom and saying, as Jesus instructs his disciples to do, the kingdom of heaven has come near. To say to others, God is in this place. God is providing for your needs. It's about bearing witness to the healing and restoring work of God in all kinds of interesting corners of this world. Not only in church sanctuaries, in fact, I think very rarely in church sanctuaries, but far more often in neighborhood parks, city streets, home offices, and friendships well-loved. As we do this work of noticing where God is already laboring and pointing to it, sensing where God's kingdom is coming to life and participating with it, that refrain that Jesus offers to us, the kingdom of heaven has come near, it should stir in our hearts and minds. In difficult and dire circumstances, it should be our encouragement to remember that God's harvest of justice, mercy, and love is still ripe for the picking. In situations where the truth of that statement that the kingdom is near is so plain, well, then it can be our joy to remember that the fruit of this kingdom is to be enjoyed by the world even by people who don't yet realize who the giver of these gifts may be. Jesus, he had this wonderful capacity to see how close people came to inhabiting the ways of his kingdom. Jesus, who brings freedom for the captive and recovery of the sight for the blind, who declares that God's healing and restoring ways will be the ways of his ministry and the ways of his church, he sees these beautiful ripe fruit in the hands and hearts of all kinds of people who others might not suspect. There's a story that I love, it's always in the back of my mind, where Jesus says to one such man, you are not far from the kingdom. There are all sorts of people who the kingdom of heaven has come near to, where God has been present in people's lives and they have no capacity to begin to imagine it 
because maybe they lack the language to describe it, or maybe they're so close to their own lives that it's hard to take a step back and to look at the whole story. There's a plentiful harvest of people who are not far from the kingdom, who long for more of its justice and peace for themselves, for their families, for this world. And the essential workers of God's kingdom are those people who can step into the lives of these others, those around you, and speak peace, offer hope, point to to the ripe fruit of the kingdom of God all around them, and perhaps invite them to join in the work of the harvest, of celebrating that kingdom of heaven that is coming close. Dear friends, your work is, is so essential in the economy of God's kingdom. Essential for the body of which you are a part and necessary for the work of the harvest, which Jesus invites us into. Remember that the kingdom of heaven has come near, where the harvest is plentiful, where the feast is prepared, where justice and mercy flow like a mighty river. If only we will have eyes to see it, hands and feet to share it, and hearts to desire that others might know its fullness for themselves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're invited, as we do every week, to a time of reflection, of journey.